0: So, welcome to what we're hoping is going to be a very special episode of the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. Why is it special, you ask? That's because it's our first birthday. Hooray! So the day that this podcast is going to be released is 12 months to the day that the very, very first Monkey See Monkey Review podcast has been released. Now, if this is the first time you've found your way into the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast, welcome. Uh, if you've not listened to us before. I'm Scott, and I'm joined each time by one or more members of the Monkey C family to talk about what we've been watching, including some of the recent releases, films flying under the radar, and some all-time classics. We'll t- also try and talk about the ever-shifting landscape of film, defend maligned, overlooked, and underappreciated movies, as well as our regular pitch battles, and our always-expanding Tracks of the Trade movie score playlist. Now, it wouldn't be the birthday episode without the man that started this all or helped start it all I should say because it was it was basically your idea Christopher uh ladies and gentlemen welcoming the wonderful Mr. Christopher Commander hello
1: happy birthday thank you very much are you ready yes are you ready I am I'm 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 touched a little party horn for you all um, party horn yeah no i mean i didn't i good good lord uh it wouldn't this this podcast wouldn't be anything without you scott so ah. i i'm 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 honored to be on the ride with you i thank thankfully we could facilitate uh this crazy journey we've had a whole year i know good lord i know and we have some very special guests with we us. do indeed
0: we have first of all a recurring guest of incredible magnificence and that is mr kevin Haney hello there happy birthday thank you very much and he's back for a second go round we didn't scar him too much with pitch battle last week (laughs) mr (laughs) craig woodfield's back hello happy birthday to us all (laughs) thank you very much craig so gentlemen how have we been are we all okay
2: yeah, I just want to say about All very well. Chris just then when he said uh, party horn that you blew. Is that what they're called? I've always wondered, because so I've been trying to like buy stuff for kids' parties and stuff I've been like, oh, um, get some of those things that you blow the things that kind of go and fold back in on <laughs> themselves. The things
1: that you blow at parties. Yeah, that doesn't go down well, does it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I
3: uh,
1: I had to look up the sound effects so yes, as far
3: as I could tell they were called party horns. Lovely. <laughs> That makes sense, but I've never used the term party horn before. No. No. Nor have I.
0: I yeah, I, I tend to say that party blowers, which doesn't sound particularly wholesome for a
3: family
2: party. I think it's, it's obviously just—I'll just stick to my description of kind of like miming it with my hands when I do it, I suppose. Yeah, because I,
1: I looked up Party Kazoo, like that's what the, the sound sounded like in my head and that wasn't correct either.
0: No. <laughs> so, Monkey see, Monkey Review coming at you with a hard-hitting film journalism. <laughs> 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 so gents, without further ado, uh, I think we should start talking about some of the films we've been watching in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and, uh, we will start off with a reasonably brand new one from Netflix, uh, released earlier this year, directed by Sam Levinson, it's Malcolm and Marie. The basic premise is that a filmmaker and his girlfriend return home from his movie premiere and tensions and painful revelations push them towards a reckoning. And so I managed to watch this and I believe Kevin has as well. Have any of you other gentlemen have?
1: I haven't yet, but I haven't. you might convince
0: me to. Well, Kev, do you think we'll be able to convince them to watch it?
2: I don't know, really. I mean, I'm kind of like, yeah, I think this is a film that uh, a lot of people may have seen is on and possibly put off because of what they're expecting it to be. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when I start talking about it in just a moment, you'll see that I actually found uh, that I quite enjoyed it. And it's not quite the kind of like the undertaking that some people might think it is. Well, this is this is something that I found is that
0: I was very aware that the basis of the movie is uh, two people in a relationship basically having a an argument over the course of a night which sounds awfully hard going but
2: uh, Kev how did you find it? How did I find it? Uh, well I mean I, I think the thing was was I, I, I like uh, as I say I, I'm kind of maybe indifferent when it comes to Zedaya. is that you how you pronounce her name? Zendaya yeah Zendaya, Zendaya. So I do apologise, but I'm a big John David Washington fan. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to go into this uh, with an open mind and uh, and see what goes on. Now this obviously is very would probably be best suited to a play, but the thing I really liked about it was was it was quite cine-literate uh, <laughs> and the performances were amazing. And the thing was was as far as. The kind of like you say, the, the way it was kind of pitched is they come into to a reckoning, so it's just going to be. I didn't find it to be like an hour and 45 minutes of arguments. No. I found it to be those even, and you know, I, I, I say we've probably all had those evenings in relationships, either present or past, where you literally, from one moment to the next, flitter from being deeply in love and adoring a person to saying some of the most hateful things that you ever could and some relationships end on evenings like this and some relationships thrive on things like this i've certainly had relationships in my past really where i've been the best and worst possible versions of myself and i think that's what the film captures very well now that's not going to be everybody's cup of tea but it certainly was mine and i was saying it's a very well-observed film and maybe if i'd called it in a different mood because i initially planned to watch this late at night in the wee smalls maybe with a whiskey but instead i ended up catching it on a sunday afternoon after a roast dinner so it was like a completely different kind of atmosphere (laughs) um and i found that i kind of i went i think maybe because my maybe because of my preconceptions of it were that it was going to be hard going i really really found it a kind of like easy to slip into and enjoyed the backwards and forwards and in fact there was a point very early on in the film probably in the first third where they had had their initial argument and then they seemed to be getting back to recovering the relationship and the love they have for each other and everything and I thought oh, this is quite interesting I like the way that 10 minutes ago they were spitting vitriol at each other yeah. and now they seem to be getting back with it and it kind of flitters backwards and forwards now some might say that maybe it does that one too many times but i like the resolution such as it was or was there no resolution obviously you see the film to, yeah. to, to see what you make of it mm-hmm. but I, uh, I i did enjoy it and i think that maybe if i call it in a different mood i wouldn't have done but i thought the performances were amazing yeah. uh, p- particularly from um zadania because I, i'd never really seen her outside of anything um say the um, was it greatest showman. So I I, I have to say I so I've, I
0: saw her in that and I've seen her in the two spider Spider-Man movies as well and I found find oh, her a really yeah, uh, I think I think she's really kind of watchable and charismatic as an actress and I think she she's got a really good presence about her uh, and as you say the the performances were absolutely phenomenal and I yeah I echo what you say about John David Washington I think this is Rapidly turning into his his twelve months really between this and Tenet, I think they're two fantastic performances in two really great films. I found it I found it quite hard to to watch in a sense, but in it in the way that the Malcolm character was talking about it is that you want things that you know that give an audience a an emotional reaction, and I didn't find it difficult to watch in terms of a lack of enjoyment. Per se, uh, I, I'd almost liken it to to my viewing experience watching. I care a lot in the in the last episode is that I was captivated by it, but I found it difficult because you know watching two people at times coming apart and you know watching these conversations unfold and trying to sort of read every little conversational choice and comment they make and consider how how this argument could have been deescalated from where it was. Uh, because there are points that it that it peaks and then as you say there are there are quieter more sort of loving moments and then and then the arguments peak again and it's it's finding those those ebbs and flows and seeing you know seeing those triggers and finding out you you know from my own perspective having been in those situations myself how do you de- de-escalate these things and how do you learn from them and what would almost i was I was looking at almost what would i have done differently because it is you know it's really raw at times and some of the, the kind of the the cruelty and some of the the, the pettiness and there you could see at times they, they couldn't almost resist going back for more uh, particularly the malcolm character i felt was going back for more whereas uh, the marie character she was very sort of committed in her in her mindset and her arguments but he couldn't help going back and picking out things that she'd said and using that as ammunition and um, almost spends parts of the movies i was gaslighting her because of the amount of times that he, he calls her crazy and delusional and deranged yeah john david washington is an incredibly charismatic actor and he carried it so well, and the fact that actually at points I found him quite an a unlikable character, but at the same time kept me captivated. So it was that it was that uncomfortable but enjoyable experience that I, I sort of found myself in those two camps that I, it held me tense, but I, I, I appreciated the, the craft and the performances and, and the writing. There is kind of a centerpiece rant, you know, in the middle of the film where they're in slightly nicer terms. And uh, Malcolm goes off on a, a, a five, 10 minute monologue that I, I have to confess during that it became a lot of a, a kind of noise and fury and i kind of sort of deadened to it after a little while it stopped
2: uh, oh i was about to say i thought that was one of the highlights of the film because that sequence there would had it have been a play that would have certainly kind of like yeah. you know would have like you know been a catalyst for a round of applause at the end of it yeah i think the beauty of that kind of thing was as well was even though um even though the arguments they were having were obviously very personal very against each other that was a that was a point where he was almost arguing with himself and arguing with the you know yeah it was that kind of it showed that like if you have a long night of a bad kind of like (laughs) arguments when you kind of especially when there's drink involved as as in uh, john david washington's character there's that kind of element of you have that thing where you're fighting against each other and then you unite to find a common enemy to then rant about, to yeah. defuse some of the situations to then rant. Definitely. And the funny thing is about this film, this film, you could have looked at that film and at the end of it, I was like, I'm not sure, You know, after only spending a couple of hours with these characters, whether or not this is the defining moment of their relationship and they won't survive or if this is just par for the course and they do this every other week. Yeah.
0: it did. I did question partway through how they made it this far with this much pent up or unsaid recriminations and bitterness to towards each other at times um and whether they could and would like you say continue after that but like you say you you're absolutely right in uh, in those sort of heightened emotionally elevated circumstances you know you have those clouded moments where you fixate on things and you 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 know they, they go on the attack about something one detail that they've said and completely missed the point of the whole argument and and that becomes the hill you die on and almost that becomes that becomes a mistake because actually you've fixated on the wrong things and you've de you've you've escalated where if you'd listened you could have de escalated in other areas and it's dialogue's obviously very heightened and it's very sort of Hollywood and like you say sin literate but there's that basis of two people having an argument and uh, through one thing and another they're they're not communicating, they're not listening and it causes further problems and then they have the quiet moments and they they dwell on it and then they go back to to those points that you know those those raw points that struck a nerve yeah and
2: the last thing the last thing i'll kind of say on it as well is it it, as far as like observation goes just the simple sequence where after like what is probably like one of the harshest rants they have towards each other john david washington loses his phone Hmm. and trying to locate his phone becomes the focus of all of that and that's the kind of thing i was like well that was well observed because i frequently lose my phone and go around the house like getting very angry and stomping and i was like that's nice you know and that's almost to the point where you go in and sort of say actually you know what (laughs) It's, like, it's not. It's certainly not a comedy, no. but it's that kind of thing where you have those things in and you're like, you know what? Life is funny, isn't it? All of those kind of things. Yeah. And the beauty of that is is it peppers these little bits of respite into what would have ultimately been a very emotionally grueling movie yeah. and it uh, comes out on top because of that. Yeah.
0: I think just one thing that I'll, I'll sort of say going before we move on is the, the, the creative process with it as well because it was filmed during lockdown and it's it's the one location shoot and I you know from sort of Interviews that I've seen with Zendaya and uh, with Sam Levinson is that it was quite a collaborative process, and that that actually both John David Washington and Zendaya have both got producer credits on it because of the kind of the development they've done with you know making it feel real and making it feel. I, I don't want to use the phrase authentic, because <laughs> because uh, that <laughs> becomes a bone of contention in the film. But uh, but they but that that kind of safety of the two of them being able to perform together in that intimacy i think it it's obviously drawn something out of each other as actors that that is you know it's, it's really good and they're t- you know two very very charismatic two very watchful actors that are you know they're on the cusp of absolutely huge things yeah certainly excellent so that's Malcolm and marie which is on netflix now so moving over to Apple TV and a new, another new film from this year. Uh, it was released, ex- released exclusively on the service uh, starring Justin Timberlake and directed by Fisher Stevens who will forever be the uh, culturally insensitive Ben from <laughs> Short Circuit. <laughs> That's a character you wouldn't get away with nowadays. Uh, it's Palmer. After 12 years in prison, former high school football star Eddie Palmer returns home to put his life back together and forms an unlikely bond with Sam, an outcast boy from a troubled home. But Eddie's past threatens to ruin his new life and family. So I've seen this. Which of you are the gentlemen have managed to catch Palmer this week?
3: Yes, I've seen it also um, and was really not to give too much away before we discuss it was really pleasantly surprised by it
0: absolutely i think that's that's a really nice way of putting it so yeah i i was i was also a fan of it i thought as a as a drama as a story it treads a lot of very familiar quite well-worn <laughs> paths that once you kind of get the lay of the land and the flow of the story the, the ex-con coming back to put his life back together you've got the boy from the broken home. Uh, and other elements that become apparent as the film goes on, that actually it's fairly,
3: I'm not going to say predictable, but it's it, there's that real air of familiarity about it. The first 25 minutes, I liken it to a card game where you know what the next card is going to yeah. come. So the convict, the child, the the troubled life, the, the sporting past. And then there is a point in the movie, and it's not, it's not, a dead set point for me where that kind of changed, I think.
0: No, it just, I think it develops a real sort of heart and warmth about it. And I think that particularly lies with, so Justin Tim as Palmer and Ryder Allen, who uh, we talked last time about uh, really good child actor performances. Um, Ryder Allen as Sam was, you know, he's that rare and precious thing, a you know, a really likable, sweet, endearing performance, uh, and quite heartbreaking at times. And I think you can, you can see how the relationship develops between Sam and Palmer throughout, and it, uh, you you can understand that because, you know, he, he he's not a gender conforming boy; he prefers to dress. Uh, in in dresses uh, play with princesses he wears a slide in his hair Uh, his best friend is one of the girls in the class and it makes him a target for bullies but he is absolutely fixed on this is who he is this is this is what he loves this is what he's interested in this is how he wants to to live his life and despite that cruelty he's he's just always got that sunny positive disposition about him and you can see how that sort of playing against the quite it's quite a restrained performance from from Justin Timberlake you can see how that starts to get through the kind of the polar opposites of each other and it it was it was such a lovely sort of warm relationship and a warm heart to the film
3: very yeah and the, the I would say at the beginning as well you know Ryder Allen plays the the adult role in the relationship yeah. between him and Justin Timberlake he's he's the one that instigates the conversations um and you know refers to the the uh, to Palmer how he wants to be referred and not like the the grandmother uh, kind of commands him to do and so on um and it was and the way that that shifts with you know Justin Timberlake taking back some of the, the conversational role as the film goes on was was one of the things that I absolutely adored about it was the the shift in not power but the shift in the relationship yeah. that's, that you watch
0: definitely and they are sort of kindred spirits they're two outcasts in a small town that you know it said early on in the film that the the two obsessions are church and football and that's all there is to the town the fact that you know because of his conviction uh you know, Palmer's an outcast in the town and because of the way Sam lives his life he's he's also you know looked down upon and frowned upon and treated quite cruelly at times um, there's also a really nice kind of warm sort of friendship with Sam's teacher played by Alicia Wainwright I think her and Justin like also have good chemistry as well um, I thought Juno Temple did a, a good job with what could have been a really one-notes bad mother character that, mm-hmm.
3: yeah absolutely
0: yeah, she's she's really talented anyway but there was there was real sort of heartened sensitivity to her as well that you know you could see at times that she she loves sam but she's just not in control of her addiction and her life and uh yeah it's it it's quite heartbreaking when you when you start to delve deeper into it so yeah, I mean it's it's a really kind of feel good story. It's got a lot of heart, a lot of affection, and you, you do end up rooting for them both.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the thing that that makes this work is that the village or the town that they're they're from is kind of cliché to say, but almost like a character in itself. That yeah. you you get to find out more and more about the town as the film goes on and finds out why Palmer behaves in the way that he does and then also his not his his immediate boss in the school as well you know that it there's there's lots of layers and i would perhaps have if i was to add more that i would have liked to have seen more scenes like there was in the shop where you see the the villagers or the town people that don't understand palmer and definitely don't understand um sam yeah
0: absolutely agreed So if you have access to Apple TV, it's quite a low key film. It's not in a hurry to get anywhere and it's well-worn paths, but it's well worth watching. It's well worth checking out. Uh, So that's Palmer on Apple TV now. And so for the next of our films, it's another 2021 release and we're moving over to Disney Plus and one of the the Disney Plus originals, which was released uh, just this past week. Uh, Now, it's directed by Lena Kahn and starring Ben Schwartz and Alison Hannigan and Danny Pudi. And it's uh, called Flora and Ulysses. So, when Flora rescues a squirrel, who she names Ulysses, she's amazed to discover that he possesses a unique set of superhero powers, which take them on an adventure of humorous complications uh, that ultimately change Flora's life and outlook forever. And so... I've managed to watch this, and I believe both Chris and Craig have both seen this as well. Yes, I indeed. have indeed. Yes. Now, Chris, I know you're a big Ben Schwartz fan, so I'm going to let you lead off. How how did you find Flora and Ulysses? I do like Ben Schwartz.
1: I I enjoyed I enjoyed the film. Um, I realised I had more notes on it than I originally came out after watching it. It felt very well. We'll get into it. Um, we should also mention. Uh, Matilda Lawler, yes. who 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 plays Flora in it, she's very good at carrying that film. I just I'll put that out there I straight will away.
0: I fully agree with you on that one. I thought she was again two great. Child actor performances in the space of in the space of a couple of days in terms of film was always watching and yeah she was she was great
1: and Lena Khan we should mention as well technically being her second feature film the film felt like it was you know it was pretty standard fare but it felt like it was directed by someone capable yes I'd
0: be inclined to agree with that as well yes I...
1: we we've come a long way since Alvin and the Chipmunks <laughs> came out the V F the V F X in it for the most part, w- w- were pretty flawless. There weren't any awkward shadows which looked out of place. There is, there is a cat character in it, which um, did make me take a second glance quite yes, a few times. Yes, that's, that's um, the, most, <laughs> the most obviously CGI creation in the whole film. Yeah, it really is. And it's almost like they were aware of that, because at one moment they mention that the cat has been like messed around with at one point. <laughs> Um and it's almost like well we we know most of the money's gone to the squirrel, so we gotta deal with this <laughs> yeah. uh cat oof mistake. It's um it's interesting watching this coming from the House of Mouse, uh with its vast and ever growing empire because it's incredibly meta with all of the properties that they are that they yes. own. Um I mean it's it's about a superhero squirrel. <laughs> Um, shouldn't laugh. There are more ridiculous things, but it references so many Disney properties that that was distracting to me. Um, at one point, there's a doorbell which is Star Wars, just for the sake of it being a Star Wars doorbell.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, did, that I did pick up on. It was uh, yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was quite nice in that regard that that uh, what they've done is they've paired Ulysses up with somebody that is kind of comic literate almost felt felt a little bit you know in, in shazam with the pairing of him and his uh, him and his foster brother that his foster brother was very comics literate and so i was able to help him kind of sort of understand the idea of of, of the hero and and the different powers and it yeah. there, was, there was almost that similarity yeah. there that uh with flora having this understanding of of uh comic books um with and i guess because her dad's a he's a he's a comic book artist uh, and trying mm-hmm. to write his own comic book—that's that that's the interest that she would have. So I kind of get that, and I thought I thought it made it quite good that they they clearly knew what they were talking about.
1: I mean, it is it is interesting because it's it's based on it's based on a, a children's illustrated yes. book of the same name, Flora and Ulysses, the Illuminated Adventures, and because there was so much connected to comic books, and there are sections of the film which the narrative happens in a comic book kind yeah. of way like an illustrated version of the scenes that are mm. happening very panel like um not as distracting as the hulk <laughs> film but we won't talk about that i am i i was aware of the book as as a mm. kid and the illustrations uh from the book that uh k g campbell did and um i have to admit like i missed those sorts of illustrations the illustrations in this were sort of felt very uh cookie cutter like i've put a filter on a on a photo and now it looks like a comic book the the illustrations from the book were very sort of um for anyone who read the series of unfortunate events Mm. books uh the illustrations from the cover of those and it has sort of a tim burton kind of esque feel like Coraline and all that kind of jazz um And I kind of wished that the dad, being a comic illustrator, would have lent into the original illustrations. It felt like Disney was very much trying to claim this as their own thing. Um, And for all I know, there could have been rights issues or, you know, Campbell might not have wanted his stuff brought to life. Who knows? Um, It just felt like very standard fare. It's funny you should talk about the... um, the little comic book easter eggs is because there there was one moment that she has a bunch of comic books lying on her bed um which she's showing ulysses uh and there was a batman comic yeah and i thought that's interesting (laughs) yes craig you
3: saw it too tell us your thoughts i i found it very odd um personally i i found it sweet i found it touching um I, I really liked uh, Matilda Lawler as as Flora, uh, and I liked William, the the boy next door, as well. Um, but I just I found it a little awkward that they needed to refer to themselves as cynical or as weird or as odd and outside of everybody mm. else. The children, probably as much as adults, maybe even not more so, pick up on that. I don't think that needed to be hammered no. home again and again. Because the the moment when, her and William are sat and William sort of st- starts to open up, you you get okay. That's why he behaves in this way. That's his mechanism. But we'd we'd had it hammered home for the first forty minutes that you know it was. Uh, but so, and that kind of irked me. And I I don't know if that's as a parental person like a view of it. I don't I don't know. Um, I liked ulysses and flora you know i liked uh, the mum and dad characters they were they were lovely they were warm um i ju- i didn't really like miller who uh the danny poody uh yeah bear, the animal uh, that who's who's kind of the yeah baddie chasing uh ulysses i i don't know what you guys felt about i just felt a bit yeah. forced and a bit too much right. for me
1: I felt I felt like this this film um, it's you know it's it's full of cliches and obviously not meant for adults no. really not that that should excuse a film but um, it felt like some of the cliches they they wanted to tightrope around like I felt like him as a villain should have been a villain like if you're gonna do a comic book villain make him a comic yeah. book villain she's surrounded by uh, figment superheroes in her mind make him like a villain villain. Um, and he never reached that potential. It felt, I don't know, I, coming out of it, I did, did feel like it was very one dimensional and it could have been a deeper yeah. film. They touched on some stuff that you could have run with and, and made it as interesting for the kids as it, as, it, as interesting for the adults as it would yeah. be for the kids. Um, it's tough. It's tough because, I mean, it's a, you know, it's straight to streaming. Um, but again, that shouldn't, that shouldn't, that shouldn't stop a film from having a message. No. I or thought I th- if you have the. I chance. thought the message,
0: yeah, that you know, hope is important, and you know, finding, finding that hope and, and positivity was quite. I thought it was quite sweet and quite nice. And I have to say, i i i did I did enjoy it a lot more than I was anticipating that would. Obviously, it's it's a family film, so it's there. It feels like the sort of film that you would put on for your kids and not be you know too too bothered about watching yourself that it's not yeah. sort of appointment cinema but it was it was a really nice quite funny i uh, you know i i found it a really yeah. uh, there were points that i genuinely laughed at it uh and they weren't sort of forced to uh, her that that bit was supposed to be funny laughs they they were genuine there was some really nice lines some nice little asides a nice little visual gag particularly the, the titanic visual gag towards the end i thought was was very <laughs> was pretty good it was a yes. good payoff it was, was a good payoff. Very, good. very good um but
1: um, but yeah no i yeah there was what there was one moment yeah Go i was just it. gonna
0: say but i found i i i found it charming and delightful undemanding and that you know sometimes that's what you need you don't necessarily have to have a, a lot of messages or particularly a lot of originality as long as you've got a bit of heart a bit of quirks it was quirky it wasn't um it wasn't as as straightforward as most children's fair is. It had a little bit of a uh, little bit of self-referential humour, um, some nice little asides, and yeah, I I just found it I found it quite charming uh, and just a nice little diversion. I think I was in the right frame
1: of mind for it when I watched it. Yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes sometimes we can be a bit we we should be less cynical about yeah. films and and uh, and take the time to enjoy a film that is very full of clichés and not really meant to be more than what it says on the tin and just let you go down Absolutely. and enjoy it and that's okay there can be movies like that not every film has to have a you know a oh, super deep yeah. message and uh, this this was one of that i came out yeah. enjoying it and i wasn't i wasn't really bothered by it but i i don't know if i'm out to you know promote like go definitely see this amazing film um there there were a couple moments that made me giggle there's one moment at the beginning where they're they're having some of the characters are having a um a role-playing game in a in a comic shop and there's a moment that happens in slow motion and you can just hear in the distance as things clatter to the ground one of the characters just in slow motion go my druid and i just it made me laugh (laughs) 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 the idea it just made me laugh it's just a little thing in the background Yeah. So, for those
0: of you that are listening, that either want an hour and a half's undemanding Saturday or Sunday afternoon viewing, or have small people around the house, uh, you can do a lot, lot worse than *Flora and Ulysses* on Disney Plus now.
1: (laughs) Small people (laughs) in that.
0: I don't. I don't mean like *Umpalumpers*. The plane. The plane. Oh, i did uh, yeah
1: <laughs> anyway yeah, i know what you yeah, meant i know what you meant <laughs> and
0: that's that's why i like that's why i like Moving the on. phrase small people uh because uh, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: because it makes people do do that is he talking about <laughs> knickknack or is he talking about um. <laughs> 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 okay i'm done
1: i'm putting myself on mute i'm gonna giggle
0: through the okay. recording right <laughs> And for the last of our four reviews this week, we're going to turn it over to the wonderful Mr.
2: Kevin Haney, who I believe has watched uh, Josh Trank's Capone. Indeed, yes, for sins. That's right, yes. Do you remember last year during lockdown, word spread that Josh Trank had written and directed uh, the uh, Al Capone kind of, like. well, I wouldn't call it a biopic. It's a pic- picture that takes place in the last year of, uh, of his life. Obviously, he had syphilis that um, kind of like... Um, became dementia uh, and after coming out of prison after 10 years um, he kind of sort of was under kind of like a house arrest uh, for the final year of his life and um, essentially what this film tries to do is have its cake and eat it. Uh, and uh, go even though we're going to focus on the last year of his life what we'll do is through a load of kind of like flashbacks is we'll go back and we'll see some of the say the highlights some of the lowlights some would probably say of his um, mob career uh, things like the valentine's day massacre and stuff like that but uh, the thing that's most notable about this was everyone was very excited about tom hardy playing the role of capone and i will say this this film is a complete tour de force from capone who as i saw in one review does a kind of swing for the fences kind of performance in the sense of he's all in and that is probably the only good thing about Capone is the whole way through it you feel that Hardy is giving it 110% the whole way through and it's such a shame that the rest of the film um, couldn't basically keep up with what he had to offer and I felt that there would have been an absolutely amazing Capone picture with tom hardy playing al capone that just uh, won't come to light now because of it and i think the problem with this is josh trank directing a screenplay that he wrote uh, and i think josh trank has got more lives than most in hollywood i think we all remember josh trank from the very successful uh, quite low budget chronicle which uh, i thought was quite good it wasn't really for me but a lot of people really liked it and i could certainly see its appeal uh, he then went on to the um, uh, fantastic four the Um, back when Fox were making another Fantastic Four film, so not the original fun colourful ones with Chris Evans and co, uh, but the ones with uh, Michael B. Jordan uh, and company there and i think at that point that was when um the film was perceived by the studio as being so bad that they recut it and then put it out into the world causing josh trank to have a hissy fit on twitter and social media basically saying that he uh, you know it wasn't the film that he uh, wanted to release and that he had no- he wanted to distance himself from it and everything like that and i think at that point a lot of people thought well that's it josh trank is done but he appears like i said to have more lives than most and uh, with capone uh, maybe we shouldn't have given him that life what uh what it it kind of is it flitters back and forwards between a very slow underpaced film with like i said terrific performances but everyone kind of meandering and kind of going nowhere um with bouts of extreme violence and the violence is so jarring i wasn't sure if it's because the violence is so jarring Uh, it's pretty much because it's the only point of when any kind of pace comes into the film uh Mm. but it kind of sits there it's only an hour and 45 minutes long but it feels like a three-hour epic um and yeah it's like it, it, it because you've got this whole kind of thing of his, his mind and his recollections of things are quite unstable it can do things like have a sensational shootout sequence that you then learn never actually occurred you watch it and you go okay well I want to know about the man Capone I'd love to know about his last year and see how this went and everything like that but you're not sure what's real and what's not and I've gone back I've looked at the history of it all and I've seen the reviews and people that have kind of been picking it apart saying most of the stuff in it that's quite cinematic and notable didn't happen but obviously happened so we could go well we need to have Capone running around with a Tommy gun because he's our Capone of course. He's. and then you look back in the history and you're like oh, okay that never happened you know yeah. what I mean yeah. it's a really bizarre a really bizarre film very disappointing now this got a released last year on demand I think went straight to streaming uh, stateside had pretty bad reviews here but I think just uh, coming onto Netflix last week um, is is the first time we in the UK have uh, opportunity we've had to watch it and uh, I'm certainly glad that it came into a free streaming service or it came free on a streaming service and other than my subscription um i i didn't make a, a point of going out to watch this in the cinema or mm-hmm. buy it on demand so a big letdown a big missed opportunity none of it tom uh hardy's fault all of it josh tranks
0: well there you go that's
2: uh <laughs> that's
0: uh, capone <laughs> which is on netflix now uh you might want to give it a bit of a wide berth
2: well, I don't know. Oof. I mean, the cultural capital. I mean, I could be completely Absolutely. wrong. So I have seen some good reviews. But if you guys were waiting for an Al Capone, Tom Hardy film, as excited as I was about it, uh, then it is unfortunately a big letdown. Thank you very much, Kev.
0: And so uh, you may remember in our last episode, uh, we recently had the news that uh, in May of 2021, uh, with all things being well with the coronavirus pandemic, that the cinemas are due to reopen. And now we thought as a birthday celebration we would have a look back at because uh, th- there's a very good reason that we're, we're excited for the reopening of cinemas all four of us love a trip to the cinema and for for many different reasons uh, we are very much looking forward to getting back to be able to watch things with an audience on a big screen and so we thought we'd take this opportunity as it's our birthday episode to reminisce about some of our favourite movie moments, some of our favourite movie going and cinema going experiences, and uh, hopefully entertain you with some of our stories and anecdotes of uh, our trips to the cinema and get you excited and all geared up for May when we can all go back
2: and have that shared experience once again yeah i think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there scott when you're saying a lot of it's about shared experience both with friends but just with audiences of strangers i think and i mean yeah. this is the longest period in my life i have ever gone without actually sitting in the cinematic you know cinema auditorium and watching yeah. a film and i am having serious withdrawal symptoms and i can't wait to get back to have some of these experiences that we're about to talk about
0: absolutely
2: i, I covered a whole
0: episode last year uh, just after the cinemas closed about yeah that my impassioned plea that you know, keep the big screen experience and these are the reasons why i'll try not to tread over old ground that we talked about there and try and find some new uh, experiences to talk about so i mean that that's one of the the big things uh, we were talking just before the, the podcast started uh recording today about some of the things that we're going to be talking about today one of the the great sort of shared audience experiences that i remember Goes back to the uh, 2005, and uh, it was one of the opening screenings of Star Wars: Attack of the Clones at the Odeon Leicester Square, which I believe uh, with both Kevin Craig you
2: were at as well. We were indeed, yeah. yeah I remember, we yeah, were indeed. I remember, yeah, being yeah, I remember reading the reviews before we went in. When everybody thought it was good, it was five stars in Empire. Everyone yeah. was excited. We were a little bit underwhelmed with uh, *Phantom Menace*, but we thought *Attack of the Clones* was gonna <laughs> was gonna sort of bring it back round, didn't we? We did. And whatever you may think of the film
0: now, and however time has been unkind to *Attack of the Clones*, and I think, you know, for, for my for my perspective, I had a blast that first screening, and then on the small screen the the little problems and little issues started to become more and more magnified, and I, I have a, a lesser opinion of it now than I did previously. However, there is no escaping the fact that there had been some rumours in the lead up to the release of Attack of the Clones, and I will just say now before we carry on, there will be some mild spoilers throughout this the course of this discussion. We won't go into too much sort of graphic detail about the the sequences. Uh, but if you want to go in and see anything that we're talking about cold, maybe just to skip on a little bit. Uh, but anyway, there have been some rumblings in some of the, the pre-release stuff around the fact that Yoda was finally going to potentially get his lightsaber out during the course of the film. And there was this moment towards the end of one of the climactic fights and the man himself, or the, the, the small pointy green-eared man himself, appears from around the corner and you could hear from that moment from when his silhouette sort of appears around the corner, right throughout this enormous auditorium, there there was this audible rumble from the the audience of expectation. You could could hear it in people that they, they were expecting this. And from that moment that he pulls his cloak back and takes his lightsaber out, the whole room, I just remember, erupted... And though it was, there was, there was mild cheering. There was laughing. It was, it was just such a wonderful shared moment of just this elation that, you know, from 1977 to 2005 and Yoda being one of the, you know, the original trilogy's MVP characters, people love Yoda and seeing him back, not as a, as a weird puppet as he'd been in Phantom Menace. Um, and finally getting to see what made him the great jedi master that he is would it was just a, a moment of sheer elation that uh, was was it just carried you through to the end of the film it was it was quite beautiful and uh, and it's those it's those types of moments where you get that that shared uh that shared elation i guess
2: yeah, I think that uh, I'll go. I'll jump on board the shared elation there. When I was I, I was there in 1996 with the rebirth of horror. When I went to see Scream, so I was a little bit underage at 16 when the film was an 18, and that only added to the magic. I remember going in, and I think it was the first time I'd watched a horror movie with an audience. You know, obviously, you'd seen horror movies growing up, and maybe you know. Around your friend, who, whose brother had it on DVD or on DVD on VHS or something at the time, you'd watch it with sort of groups. But this was the first time I saw a scary film with an audience. And Scream is, in my opinion, it's still up there in the top tier of, of, of horror movies. Uh, and it was responsible for so much more after. To the point now, I think that there's a lot of scary movies that are in cinemas that is the complete opposite because everybody loves that. They try to kind of manufacture it, don't they? You go yeah. to a cinema to watch something like you know The Nun or something like that, and then you've got the audience just basically they're all teed up and basically want to scream and scream, squ- Oh my God, and all that kind of stuff. And with the exception of maybe Paranormal Activity, mm-hmm. I've not really had a, a an experience quite like that with a horror film where everybody is just on it. They've got that laugh and the, you know, the, the scream followed by the laugh that kind of releases the pressure and everything like that. And I remember yeah. at the time I felt I was part of something special. I felt that I was like a cool kid watching the cool film that everyone was going to be talking about. But watching it with that audience was brilliant. And that first experience of Scream, was my optimum experience of scream i've seen it a hundred times since but it will never top that first one yeah i think the the
0: in terms of it, it wasn't so much of a horror but it was more of a more of a thriller but with serious horror undertones and in terms of uh, not so much the shared experience but that experience of walking out of the cinema having felt that you'd seen something different and something special uh was when i went to see seven so i was i was old enough Oh, nice <laughs> and, uh, so I I wasn't I wasn't like careful for a serial underage film watch it well no t- tell a lie I did I did go and see bad boys and pulp fiction while I was too young <laughs> um, and I regret nothing um, but I'd not seen anything in my 18 years like uh, like seven before uh, the whole film was it, it's a fantastic movie it's such a thrilling movie but for that end sequence and to finish in the way that it does I just remember the, the, the audience walking out of there, and it was a quite a full sort of Saturday evening uh, cinema audience. You would expect it to be a little bit boisterous. Everybody walked out in just silence. Uh, <laughs> it It took me and my friend, who I went to see it with, to get all the way from the screen to the front door before we said anything to each other. And I think even then it was...
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's seven for me. I've got, I had that written down as well. Seven, and I put the final scene, and then I think, actually, it's it's from the very opening moment. It's it puts you into a, a really dark world mm. that just gets darker and darker, um, and has very little light in it, like in more ways than one. Um, so yeah, and it it just. Uh, as it as you go through the story you're like uh, who is you know there there cannot be a payoff at the end of this it's not going to be worth and then obviously we we get uh we get the payoff at the end and then that that final scene you're like <laughs> uh, what do I say I, I don't know what to say I think there's... and every time I've seen it since
2: as well there's that bit in it isn't it where Morgan Freeman talks to David Mills talks to Brad Pitt and he's like if John Dole's head splits open and uh ufo flowers out i want you to have expected it and i remember thinking oh my god what is gonna happen is that gonna happen and do you know what i think what ultimately happens is probably even more surprising than that yeah <laughs> you know it's that kind of thing yeah. i certainly remember enjoying seven and seven is always one of those films um that i would when someone's like tell me about the cinema experience why do you love the cinema experience seven i think encapsulates that because you've got the highs the lows you've got that. you have got the comedy kind of like to to release that kind of thing and that tension and everything but even so much down to the sound there's a sequence at the end right at the very end when the credits just before the credits roll backwards with that awesome David Bowie song which completely summarizes everything as well where you have a helicopter you have the last quote from uh, Morgan Freeman where he's like you know I agree with the first part and you have you hear a helicopter go from the left of the auditorium to the right of the auditorium and it's amazing kind of surround sound Mm -hmm. you know obviously purposely sound designed thing and that there was like I watched it a hundred times at home but it wasn't until i revisited it at the cinema that i got that full effect where i was like oh my god you know what this film is all about the cinematic experience i think watching it on dvd or video or blu-ray is like a postcard of going to a holiday destination yeah do you know what i mean and yeah seven's definitely up there i remember missing my first day of work experience to see that and there was about three people in there i wish i'd seen that with a huge audience on a saturday night like you guys are talking
0: yeah oh it was mm. yeah it was it was just one of the the best best cinema moments of, of my life it was it was absolutely fantastic uh in terms of kind of that, that saturday night audience reaction uh the one that um I, me and kev shared a few years ago so we'd gone to london with the uh with you know opening night prometheus at the imax tickets booked which was very exciting in itself um, yeah. Midnight showing. Midnight it? showing. Um, and we had some time to kill in the centre of London. And Kev said, well, yeah, what, what do you want to see? And uh, the raid was one of the options. So we, we decided to give that a go. Kev had, Kev had already seen it at that point and recommended it to me. I knew um, what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, you, you knew you knew what you were doing. And I've probably alluded to this before on a previous podcast. Um, but if we're if we're talking about sort of individual moment audience reactions... One of the one of the funniest and one of the greatest is during the raid. Now there's there's that awesome sequence uh, where Rama's in the in the corridor fighting off uh, a horde of <laughs> a horde of bad guys, and there is a punctuation point to the fight where uh, he inventively uses a, a splintered door to put an end to the fight, basically. Um, and it's quite it's quite ineffective. It's it's not especially graphic in terms of a moment, but um, but in terms of like the sound design and the the impact of it in the screen. To a single person in this in this, you know, reasonably full screening, everybody at that moment when when the uh, the poor gentleman's head hits
2: the door, everybody went.
3: <laughs>
2: there were a lot of collective gasps in that film yeah I so much here. as you're talking about the and we went straight from that obviously to the midnight showing of um, prometheus which yeah. obviously film aside was you know, it was full of a lot of people that had obviously rather than seeing the raid they'd chosen to go and have drinks so i'd probably say one of the best cinema experiences was then followed yeah. by one of the kind of like less enthused and i think unfortunately following any, anything following immediately after the raid on a friday night in london yeah. Uh, is going to be at a disadvantage and unfortunately prometheus was but going back to that friday saturday night magic i believe that there is a little bit of extra magic in the air if you watch a film on a friday or saturday night but it's also a gamble as well Uh, and nine times out of ten i actively go out of the way to go and watch a film usually on my own like during like a midweek tuesday or something in the afternoon because i know yeah. there's less chance of having problems and all that kind of stuff but if i see a film on a friday or saturday night with an audience that is g'd up with it as as the audience of scream were or seven were for you guys like years before mm-hmm. y- you've got something special and i think there's a kind of like a fine thing there and one of the cases i want to bring forward is in bruges i went to see in bruges with an audience uh, on a saturday night the weekend it opened um and i was like oh i don't feel safe i don't really feel comfortable doing this because i know someone's going to ruin it and spoil But the dialogue was funny and it made them laugh and it was, you know, it was a little bit violent, but the story was there. Everyone was really tuned into it to the point that I will only watch In Bruges really on a Saturday night. (laughs) <laughs> and because of that and i actually after that saturday night i tried to recreate it and i saw it in bruges consecutively for three saturday nights in a row in the cinema because i'd enjoyed that first one so much and every audience loved it as, as much as that first saturday night audience
0: <laughs> yeah i what a film It's one i regret not being able to see at the cinema i remember i, I can't remember if i talked about this in the in the previous podcast where i talked about the cinema experience but i i know because kev saw this at the london film festival and had a i believe a similar sort of reaction but um i managed to get to see whiplash just before the oscars uh when it was released and i went to see it on a on a packed uh packed saturday night uh, the night before i think i went down to watch the oscars with you gentlemen and hmm. there was uh it, it was a very respectful audience everyone was there because it was it was a re-release of it so everyone was there to see the film it wasn't just a this is on a friday night or saturday night and we're going to just go en masse and see it people were there to actually watch the film and were very respectful And it but what what really grabbed me and what made this such a, a great experience in terms of a cinematic experience for me is there's that there's that end sequence at the concert and again this is one where i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go into into any spoilers but the way it it ratchets up the tension all the way through that scene you've got that that deep dread and deep sort of uncomfortableness in in your chest watching this whole sequence and i i I held my breath for the whole thing and the sequence finishes and and the, the credits roll and it's it's literally that bang and on that moment, the audience broke out with spontaneous applause. And I, I never—the only other time somebody has broken out in applause in a cinema screen was when Craig applauded the Star Wars Episode One trailer when we went to watch the Siege many years ago. <laughs> so, Steve. little did yeah, I know. <laughs> But it was it was it was amazing. It it had that that effect on everybody that you know, nobody from the, the the film was there to appreciate this applause, but this was shared appreciation spontaneously by people that had just watched an absolutely brilliant film with one of the most tense, uncomfortable, brilliant sequences and the release after that was just palpable in the room and it's fantastic and it is and that's that's what i can't wait for is is those moments where you you get those
2: those amazing moments written large on a big screen and that's that's what i'm excited to go back to opening weekend of uh, independence day i remember going to see that was opening weekend it was a thursday night and i remember me and my friend we took uh, two girls along to watch it with us mm-hmm. and we sat there the whole film having been really excited to watch it and we you know every breathtaking moment oh the dog's gonna get killed no he's not oh it's brilliant oh look now randy quaid's doing this and that really excited but i remember me and my friend had to keep our composure the whole way through it the audience oohed and aahed and gasped and it was absolutely brilliant great experience and i remember me and my friend walking the girls to the bus stop dropping them off at the bus stop going around the corner high-fiving and going yes that was absolutely <laughs> amazing
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love taking
2: i love watching films with people it was like when, i remember when face-off came out i love to go i I took friend after friend to watch face-off because a lot of people were kind of at that time just hadn't really heard much about it yeah. and um it opened the week after la confidential what a, an amazing couple of weeks that was and um i remember going to watch Face Off and watching face-off just i saw it like the opening weekend i saw it on like the friday the saturday and the sunday consecutively because i just loved watching the audience gasp at the well any of the like major action sequences in it Terrific.
3: Yeah. So like for me like the first thing that I went to see and you know I I ask people and I I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like I don't know I th- I don't think I know what any of you went to see for the first time at the centre. I think I might do Scott yeah. so but my, mine was was ET um and as as I suppose maybe a lot of people of my age it would have been um but yeah just and it was, I believe, Shaftesbury Avenue uh, in London. I went to see it, um, and just was wowed, absolutely wowed by by this story that kind of that swept me away, and so much so that E.T. is still probably in my top ten. Favorite films of all time. Now, uh, but yeah, I just wonder what your first movies were that you remember going to uh, the cinema. My
2: first film was 1984. It was Ghostbusters. I was four years old. I was clearly too young to go and see this film, really, <laughs> even though it was released really sort a of PG at the time. This was the time of harsh PGs, wasn't it? Really. Yeah. And I remember my dad. I remember pl- I, this is what intrinsically remember this. It's basically the the day I fell in love with cinema. I remember playing with my toy cars on the floor, and my dad asking me if I wanted to go to the cinema to see Ghostbusters. And I was like, yeah, not really knowing what I was letting my self in for I remember jumping out of my skin at the ghost of the library like sitting on my dad's lap Um, I remember watching it (laughs) idolizing these guys on the screen because they were just so cool they were smoking which was a bit risky as well I remember that. And then I remember being absolutely kind of like blown away by the visual effects. I remember coming home, going upstairs um, to see my mum, and jumping up and down on my mum's bed going, oh my God, and this marshmallow man comes out. He's absolutely amazing and everything like that. And throughout my years on this earth, I've watched Ghostbusters frequently and I've enjoyed it as a scary film that I didn't really know what was going on, a special effects film. I've enjoyed it as a comedy. I've enjoyed it as a drama. I've enjoyed it as every, in every way you can enjoy it. And that's yeah. why Ghostbusters is the reason. That like I'm probably doing this podcast with you now because that cinema experience when I was four years old was literally life-changing. That's one of my formative uh, cinema experiences as well. E.T. was my first.
0: Um, the, as I talked about in the last podcast, I, I went to see Return of the Jedi and then my mum took me to go and see all three Star Wars films back-to-back um, and that, that was incredible. So E.T. and Star Wars were, were the two. Star Wars was the big one. I mean, Star Wars, after watching that, i wanted to be luke skywalker and then i when i realized i couldn't be luke skywalker i wanted to be an astronaut and then when i realized i couldn't probably be an astronaut i wanted to be an actor and that's that's how i got into performing <laughs> um ghostbusters uh i remember the day that we went to see it as well and this is back in the times before pre-booking when you literally had to queue up to to hope you got in to see the films <laughs> uh, there weren't five or six uh, screens showing the same thing you you just had to be lucky uh, me and my mum arrived at the Odeon in Coventry and turned up and it had sold out and we had to drive all the way back home and then by the time we'd got back home we had about half an hour three quarters of an hour at home and she turned around and drove us back again and it was so full in the in the cinema that I um, I ended up at so it's 1984 I would have been uh, I would have been about six or seven at the time and it was so full that me and my mum couldn't sit together so she sat in the seat in front of me and I sat behind her Goodness. so was scary uh, what did, yeah. how, how did you
2: react how did you react to the ghost in the library
0: uh, I you know what <laughs> the ghost in the library made me laugh oh. it was slimer. It was Slimer that scared the living hell out of me. And I, because because it was the whole, I had a thing at the time, and this was the same with E.T., that, that screaming in a film or people screaming at each other scared me for some reason. I think E.T. damaged me. So that bit where E.T. and Elliot meet for the first time, I go, ah! <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and I, 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 the first time I saw it, it genuinely upset me. And I wouldn't watch ET for a long time after that. Or if I did, I would go out of the room while that bit was on, and I would come back in. And so with the Slimer bit, you've got Slimer going ah, and you've got Bankman going ah, and uh, that's that's accurate to the film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that was that was the bit <laughs> that was the bit that scared me more than anything, um, because I'd, I'd actually seen that bit on a clip on. Um, on telly before and and
2: it was like it, it no. used to be the opening credit sequence to the muppet babies used to have that <laughs> <laughs> well there you go that's
0: so peek into kevin's psyche there how about you chris i mean what what your memorable cinema experience is
2: yeah what was, what was your first film chris i'm really interested actually to hear this
1: my first film um my first film i ever saw in the cinema was the first toy story oh that's a great film. um yeah Oh, right. <laughs> and still my favorite film of all time. And, I mean, I can't remember very much about the experience, apart from the fact that I was in awe of, of, of seeing everyone on the, on the big screen. Um, I do remember uh, when Toy Story 2 came out, and I went to see that. And Actually, you know what? The Toy Story uh, saga is, is a good film experience for me. It um, made me fall in love with, with film. And uh, when the second one came out, uh, someone was doing um, a—one of the newspapers, I think, had a promotion on because they had done one of the first tie-in video games for Toy Story 2. And Toy Story 2 obviously starts with, you know, the Mm game— And then you get Zerg and all of that jazz. Um, And so this tie-in game, you could only get if you'd gone and seen it and then send in your ticket stub or something. Um, And it was only a demo of the game. It was the first two chapters of the game, two levels. And I, I played that until the disc was barely anything, but I also remember not being able to get past a certain level because I was terrified of a giant robot in an attic, so if anyone knows <laughs> the levels, and knows what I'm talking about, they will if they played it the same time I did that was a terrifying bit um, and then I guess I saw I saw in 3D Toy Story 3 um, and it was a perfect sort of circular moment for me because Andy was going away and that was the exact same time I was going away too. It, I I grew up with Andy and as he went off to college that was the same age that I was. Um and it was very poignant and kind of perfect moment. Um Yeah but 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 everyone in, in the I mean for those of you I mean you guys know there's a moment in Toy Story 3 where you just think uh, you question all your life decisions. <laughs> and so
3: um,
1: you get to that point and ev- everyone, I, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. And I think that's part of the magic of that shared experience. Every, literally everyone's in it yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. everyone's experiencing this for the first time. It's like going to see a good show in theater. Um, it's a shared experience with the audience. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I left and I didn't want anyone to see that I was bawling my eyes out. So I, I kept the 3D glasses <laughs> on and then I got in trouble for leaving the theater with them yeah. on. <laughs> oh, dear. I um, think I think, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I think just... you hit
2: the nail on the head there, though. But when we again, we keep to bring up the, the the shared experience point and stuff like that. But like I said earlier on, it's like the way I see it is: if you see a film in the cinema, that's how it was meant to be seen. That's ultimately what most directors are kind of like, you know, putting out there and everything. Yeah. And I think any anything, whether you watch it on your phone or even a you know, a, even a large television, really, you're just getting a memento of how good it was to have, have, have watched that with an audience. Unfortunately, we do know that some audiences can kind of like end up spoiling in films but that's when you kind of come you know you're smart and you select which which kind of time of day you're going to see films but i, I often if i'm if, if i feel like it's going to be a weepy so generally if it's going to be a pixar film i'll make sure i'm sitting away from people because i don't want to hear me sniff if it's a scary <laughs> film I'll, I'll i'll sit away from people because i don't want them to see me jump uh, and uh, if it's a comedy though i've got no problem sitting near people because i love to laugh with people you know mm-hmm. That's mm. that's a
0: really good uh, comedies uh, i know i, I mentioned the, the borat film and and kind of the the laughter in the, the original podcast i did on this but um there was one that again i think this is one that that Kev might have been at is that we we took a trip with a couple of mutual friends to go and see road trip at a cinema in london while we were um while we were at, yeah. um, uh, we were at uh, university together now road trip I, it was was amusing for its time it was one of you know it was one of the rash of sort of teen and college comedies at the time but yeah i just remember that that it was one of the most uproarious reactions to a comedy that i've been part of and again same with borat when you're in a a, a huge auditorium with lots of people all absolutely killing themselves laughing it's it's this wave of euphoria that that takes everybody along and you can't help but be be drawn along with it. i wouldn't put Uh, road trip as you know particularly high on my list of of favorite films I wouldn't even put it uh, particularly high on a list of films that I've seen but in terms of (laughs) in terms of experience at that moment on that evening with the right audience that were the right amount of uh, hyper or boisterous or drunk it was just it was it was hilarious and it was fantastic and it was it was just a great (laughs) fun
2: also that thing about the the cinema can kind of like encapsulate and it can it can kind of galvanize you kind of like what's going on i remember going to watch titanic at the time i was falling in love and it felt so for me and appropriate and i got swept up in it and was crying and oh my god titanic i remember (laughs) um at university i remember it was the first week of university and i was kind of making friends scott and craig obviously oh you know you were good friends uh within that first week by looking through heat magazine and and seeing what films would be coming out in the near future but i remember going on that uh on the first friday uh, when we started university on the Monday I remember going with a group to watch something about Mary and something about Mary I don't particularly rate high in in comedies but there was something about that film watching it with new people and laughing with them I felt that I already had a kinship with people that I'd just met a week earlier that would, some would go on to become some of my best friends you know um, yeah. I also remember Scott you had the option to come and watch something about Mary but instead you opted to go and see Saving Private Ryan I did
0: and had a very <laughs> very different uh, cinematic experience <laughs> but just to- just as formative one as that because it was uh, it was
2: you know again that, that
0: unlike something i'd ever seen so
2: i w- i wanted to see saving private ryan so much but i bowed to peer pressure and went to see something about mary because i went with the larger group because i wanted to look cool yeah there we go the admission, but I, I did laugh. I did laugh. It was a very funny film at the time. I think that at that point that was the Farrelly Brothers when they were doing it Because that, that that I you forget, don't you, sometimes just how big some films are. Like so, like yeah. in the kind of pop culture and everything. Like when Jurassic Park came out, I remember having friends taking time off school to go and see it. Mm. That was huge, and obviously yeah. that didn't let down as well. You know, same as Independence Day. Those are those films that were kind of like big. And whatever your opinions of them now, they certainly delivered at the time. Yeah. I mean i know it's i know it's fairly
0: recent but i would i would put the the, the final two uh, avengers films up there as you know great shared experiences that put, I, I went to see both of them opening weekends with large respectful audiences and we had you know fantastic reactions to to it because everybody laughed in the right place everybody whooped in the right place and it was you know it, it was one of those things it felt like an event and and that that's a really nice feeling when a, a film has been built up this much um uh, and it, it, it not only doesn't disappoint in terms of the the film which I, I really enjoyed both of them but as a as a night out or as an afternoon out to watch them with the right audience was was perfect was great and um uh, you know, this, this is this is one of the other sides of, of returning to the, uh, the the cinema experience. Is I can't wait to take my daughter to go and see more things now. Uh, I mean, we've we've been cinema buddies for the longest time, but I took Sophia to go and see uh, Infinity War uh, in the 4DX in Birmingham, and. Uh, I, I, for the most part the 4DX was ruined, was, was wasted on her because she spent the whole film, particularly that last sort of 45 minutes to an hour, right on the edge of her seat, absolutely absorbed by it, barely moved and just transfixed on the screen and as the as the credits rolled, she turned to me and said that was the best thing I've ever seen and that's, you know d- to be able to, to go back to the cinema with somebody that is Discovering her movie taste, that is understanding and appreciating good cinema. You know, I I got to watch Inception for the first time. She'd been begging me to watch it for a long time, but last year we sat down and we watched it. We got to the end of the film, and she she cried at the end. Uh, she she felt the you know the you know with with the everything they'd gone through, and with the climax of the way it is. Uh, and, and she she understood that and she got that and it, it genuinely made her emotional and she she genuinely found that it you know she she followed the film she enjoyed it and, and is desperate to watch it again and with her having that that appreciation of film to be able to take her back and go and see these films as the way they should be on the biggest screen possible in the most absorbing way possible is just I'm so excited uh, it, you know it's a, it's a never ending. Voyage of Discovery for you know not just me as a, as as a movie fan, but as a father as well, because I get to share this with somebody else, uh, that, and and these are going to be memories that I make with her for the rest of our lives together, because we still talk about the the days where we'd go out and go and see different things at the cinema. And some films resonate, some films don't, but that it's that act of being together and go and see something. Again, I, you know, I know I've, I've, talked about a lot of the things that me and me, Kevin Craig have gone to see together. And, uh, you know, me and Chris have been to the cinema a few times as well. Um, but it was, it was it chapter two and birds of prey, which weren't, weren't my, my greatest sort of, uh, <laughs> I, I, I moderately enjoyed both of them, but uh,
1: I enjoyed yeah, being exactly. there. Yeah, exactly, and the, and it's that, that shared
0: experience with a friend that you can talk about these films with. But I I, I just want to go to one in particular in terms of, you know, this this was this was the perfect storm, I would say for me, in terms of movie experience, shared experience, and doing it with the people that I love dearly. It was it is the perfect the, storm? It wasn't the perfect storm. It was uh, that would have been good though. <laughs> although uh, although I remember the. Uh, uh the the entryway into that cinema probably smelled a lot like Dex did in A Perfect Storm. Uh so for <laughs> for my birthday for my That's birthday really a few right. years ago, um Kevin Craig came up and we went to uh one of our local IMAXs and we watched Gravity together. Yeah. And it, you know, if you wanna take a, the you know, the perfect cinema experience in terms of everything that Alfonso Cuaron did in that film, in, you know utilizing the 3D utilizing the screen the sound the, the direction the uh, the special effects everything was just phenomenal on a big screen it was it was such an experience but to share that on a special occasion with two people that are very special to me and that's that's one of the best things I can say is that you know that's what cinema means to me it's uh, it's sharing the thing that I love watching it being done in such an amazing way with you know with people that are very special to me so i'm gonna climb down off my soapbox now <laughs> <laughs> no, great.
2: yeah no come back cinema we will we we, we we welcome you with open arms oh, old you. friend absolutely well we hope
0: you've enjoyed this little trip down memory lane for us we hope it's been you know fun for you and please you know chime off on our social media the links which we will give you at the end tell us about your favorite experience your favorite moments where you've gone to see things with friends and you know what what the best nights you've had out at the cinema are yeah you know we've managed to do that all this and we've not even touched on such things as secret cinema I mean that's yeah you know, that's how deep this uh, uh, you know this conversation yeah. could be because you know they, they they were great experiences as well uh being able to go and see cinema as an event uh so yeah they, they're they're all things that we're all very much looking forward to and thank you boys i've really enjoyed that conversation me too so now we've got all warm and fuzzy it's time to fall apart and slip into a state <laughs> of war it's almost time for our Pitch
3: it's
0: battle.
2: battle. <laughs> like the, 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 the wobbly <laughs> voice there. That okay. was a little that was a little reverb. Thank now. you. Was thank you. On it. So
0: yeah, it was uh, it was a bit it was a bit different. It was that was that like the were you doing that through the the party
1: hall? <laughs> uh, no, just all now, vocal technique, my friend. All vocal technique. Oh.
0: oh, it was uh, that was that was quite that was quite beautiful. Em- emphasis on the quiet. Mm. <laughs> so, Jets, we are we are ready for another pitch battle. Now, before we move on to uh, our choices for this week, uh, I do I have had a message from Johnny, uh, oh, who was no. our uh, contributor from the last podcast. Uh, he listened to it and. Liked it very much. He laughed a lot and also apologised to everybody. So he, he passes on his most sincere apologies. Unaccept- unacceptable.
3: Um, I have an arch nemesis. So tough,
2: <laughs> tough old pitch battle, though.
3: I accept that apology in the hope that I never get anything like it again. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> right. So we're going to move on to this particular episode's our birthday episode's uh, pitch battle. And our contributor this week is Sam Davis. Now, Sam is an old work friend of mine, and she has provided us with our actor, item, and genre. Now, if you're new to the podcast, it's time to learn what a pitch battle is. A pitch battle is quite simple. We take those three items, and between the four of us, we all go away and have five minutes to write our own movie pitch based on that actor, that item, and that genre. We then come back together and we we read them out in our best movie trailer voices and then decide between us which one we thought was the best. Normally, it's a draw because we're too nice to to pick someone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And also, we we like to give you the opportunity, you know, if you fancy it, let us know, again, on the comments on social media what you think of it. So, Sam has provided us this week with our three items. So, our actor is the lovely Jennifer Lawrence. Our item is a sack of potatoes yes. and our genre is horror. <laughs> okay. So that's Jennifer Lawrence with a sack of potatoes in a horror. So gentlemen, oh, you have five minutes to prepare your pitch, but for you, fair listeners, we'll be back in two seconds. And welcome back, gentlemen. Pens down, your five minutes is up. And
3: how did you find that one? better than last week yes <laughs> yeah, not, not as <laughs> stressful i it was subdued sub- sub- compared to last week
1: <laughs> it was indeed the it ten- was indeed the tension was palpable though over the over the line <laughs> still sweating <laughs> it was
0: <laughs> so thank you sam for being uh, rather kind yes, than johnny you, was uh so kev i believe you wanted to go first this time Anne? i shall go first so-, so
2: here we go actor jennifer lawrence item sack of potatoes genre horror Here we go. Go for it, mate. (laughs) In a town off the beaten track. Welcome, young lady. You spending the night here? Jennifer Lawrence is checking in. Just the one night, ma'am. Afraid all I got is the barn out back. But what she doesn't know... Just pull up some hay and a cover. Is that hell already checked in? This is my potato shed. Did I mention that? Don't mind those sacks over there. They don't buy it much how far can too far go potato <laughs> jennifer lawrence the sack ready at 18 starts june 6th there you go <laughs> <laughs> very well <Fantastic>. done <laughs> that
0: was brilliant well done <laughs> i need to start putting like dialogue into mine yeah i know we,
1: we need to start yeah you need to up our game
0: right seems seeing, seeing so i've not got any voiceovers in my mind, I'll, I'll go next Cassie (laughs) Dauphimoire is a rookie investigating a string of bizarre murders. The victims are skinned, clad in potato peelings and stored in potato sacks. As she and her partner Edward King close in on on their maniacal target, he begins to turn the tables and begins chipping away at her family, friends and work colleagues in increasingly grisly ways. Jennifer Lawrence in no jacket required very well done there
3: you go. oh really nice good,
0: really good. Good.
1: nice <laughs> nice fantastic thank you very much <laughs> that's good that was a good one i was not expecting that one edward king was my personal <laughs>
0: favorite in that uh... edward king was a was a, was a late addition <laughs> nice, <laughs>
2: nice. Uh, that was good i didn't even get that that was so quick i didn't even get
3: that are you chris are you up next or myself Craig, if you'd like to go, you can go. Uh, To say like... um, (laughs) Well, would you rather be last? No, goodness no. Okay. Okay, so I... uh... (laughs) Only she can see them. Only she knows their strength. She alone knows their hell. Carbs are her enemy. This summer, Jennifer Lawrence takes us beyond the sack... Dare you do the monster mash potato? <laughs> That's nice. oh,
1: all right. <laughs> brilliant. Potato. Alright, alright. Oh, oh god, okay. <clears throat> a lone girl on a night out. <laughs> stumbles home after having one too many daiquiris. She finds herself in a part of town she's never been before, with the ever-increasing feeling of being watched. She ducks down in an alley, a red door ajar. The closer and closer she gets, the darker the alley feels. The hairs on the back of her neck, she opens the door and sees a potato factory. The door slams. She comes face to face with her stalker, only to see a potato stack pulled over her head. Jennifer Lawrence in The speck tater.
3: <laughs> hey. oh,
0: i loved i loved the horror movie heartbeats between each line that was, thank you. That, that, thank was you. <laughs> that
1: was a magnificent condition thank you
2: and presume presumably that was a sound effect and not you just going <laughs> <laughs> it was me just going
1: yeah
0: yeah, it was
2: yeah. really yeah, no. You were, you. That was brilliant. That was like, <laughs> oh my god. Ah, oh, I thought I, c- I don't think I could do that, and and get and get my dialogue out. as easy. very That was very really good.
0: That was very, that very was good. good indeed. That,
2: that was like being being with um, John Colshaw. <laughs> or or Michael Wincott, Michael Michael Winslow. Michael Winslow, Michael <laughs> <laughs> Winslow.
0: See, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a running joke
1: yeah. Ah. Yeah. sorry everyone we're having a giggle fit you guys tell us who you thought won. it's a birthday
0: party of course we can lose it of course But yes, absolutely. Let us know who you thought won. But I thought we all did a fantastic job again with considerably less stress than last time. (laughs) and so we're going to roll on with our final feature of the show and it is our ever-expanding tracks of the trade music score playlist Uh, this is being created on spotify as we speak and it's getting bigger and bigger by three or four songs every time we meet and uh, what we'll do is i will put a link to the playlist on the show notes so when you download your episode you'll be able to follow the link to tracks of the trade from there now, uh, the idea behind Tracks of the Trade is you, we love movie score music and we have done, so we have 12 months worth of uh, of different tunes on there and we wanted to create something that captures all of our different tastes and you know, if you've got any ideas of songs that you'd love to hear uh, or not necessarily songs, p- pieces of score music that you'd love to have added to the playlist, please let us know through any of the channels that we give you at the end and via the show notes. So, uh, who would like to do their... Uh, tracks of the trade playlist choice for the week
1: i'll go
2: first okay no, go. I'll maybe go, go we'll f- fight go backwards yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> well let's go alphabetically <laughs> let's go for christopher because he was uh he was the first one to he was the last one to do his his pitch battles, okay so. all right yeah
1: and then i can relax
2: yeah go backwards
1: um mine <laughs> is from the 2016 coen brothers film hail caesar um it's the later part of the soundtrack. Uh, and it is called Glory of Love by Carter Burwell um, for the most part the, I mean the film is, is obviously reminiscent of, of sort of golden age cinema and, um, and, and it has those sorts of themes throughout it anyway but this is just an, a nice addition to the soundtrack that, that sort of lulls you along throughout the film and this is one that stood out to me um, and I enjoy listening to that on its, on its own so yes, um, glory of love.
0: Fantastic, thank you very much, Chris. And I, I I do enjoy *Hail Caesar*. Particularly, there's that opening exchange uh, between the religious leaders around the table, which is. <laughs> if you've not I need had to
1: watch it, *Hail Caesar* again. It's been a yeah. while.
0: It's been a long time since I've seen it. it you know, it, it's not one of my favourite Coen Brothers film, but uh, but that, that sequence is just fantastic. Gentlemen, which of you find Lance would like to go next?
3: Craig, so you go next. Okay, Um, so next for me is uh, a piece of music from Beetlejuice. Now, I didn't really get to mention it, but 1988 was one of my movie golden years, that and 1995. Um, And the track that I've picked is travel music, which follows the car uh, at the beginning of the, the movie. And I just remember thinking this was incredible listening to this music and now danny danny elfman who has an incredible back catalog of of soundtracks um but this travel music just kind of light whimsical sets up the the perfect sort of 15 20 minutes uh, first uh, kick off of the movie beetlejuice uh, yeah and i absolutely like, I pretty much love anything that danny elfman does to be honest but their yeah, travel music
0: excellent good stuff and uh, Kev would you like to go next or last I'll go last how about that okay fantastic so I will jump in with mine so I have picked uh, what will probably be recognized as that music from the trailers so I have picked Bishop's Countdown from the movie Aliens. It's our one-year anniversary, so of course I'm going to pick something from one of my favourite films and one of my favourite uh, all-time cinema experiences. Um, and the, the, the track uh, sorry, by James Horner is used particularly at the end of the film. And I, I remember reading on Twitter uh, you know, a couple of years ago that Edgar Wright likes using this track when he's writing action sequences. And it's a little bit of a, a, a shot of adrenaline in the arm, for the playlist because I don't think we've got anything quite like it on there certainly hmm. that first couple of minutes of the of the track are uh, sort of really sort of pounding and you will have you all heard it not just from aliens but from lots of different movie trailers as well uh, the second half of the track is a lot more sort of uh, serene uh, after after everything's kind of kicked off of the film but uh, but yeah for those first couple of minutes of it it's it's an absolute classic and of course it's from one of my favourite films Kev what is your track of
2: the trade well, this tune uh, is uh, from The Goonies, uh, composed and conducted by David Grusan and the track I've chosen is the first track on the uh, score album, the re-release score album, because you might remember The Goonies was actually a score that was quite... Um, it, there was a time where it wasn't available for a time, I think it was released in 1985 initially, um, and then kind of went out of print and was quite hard to obtain, but it got re-released by Verisy Cereban last year, Uh, no 2019 so two years ago now uh, and is now available I think on Spotify which is terrific which is how we can play it but this one track one Fratelli Chase is probably one of those tracks that you listen it reminds you what it was like to be a kid growing up in the 80s it was probably a formative tune that you probably whistled that you've probably got somewhere in your mental rolodex and you're like oh yeah that's from the Goonies so I would heartily recommend sticking on Fratelli Chase and remembering what it was like to be a kid growing up in the 80s if you grew up in the 80s <laughs> if not put yourself in that perspective <laughs> <laughs>
0: excellent thank you very much i think that's four very very strong choices and uh yeah really really great little playlists we're getting going there and so we have come to the end of our first birthday episode. And, uh, and thank you again, gents, for your, for your input and your support and keeping us going this far. I think uh, I think we've got many more in front of us, hopefully. I, um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to say to everybody that's listened from the first episode right through to today, uh, you know, wherever you've picked up with us, uh, thank you for, your, for your, your time and your ears. I really appreciate it. If you could do something for us, and particularly because it's our birthday, make it your birthday gift to us. Wherever you get your podcast from, if there is an opportunity or a facility to leave us a review, please do leave us one, preferably a positive one, because that really helps us uh, get out there and get more ears listening to us. Because it's what we want. We, we really enjoy doing this, hmm. but we really want to be able to be heard by as many people as possible. Uh, we also have many different ways of getting in touch with us via our social media through Twitter at msmrpod uh, through uh, instagram which if you search monkey see monkey review you'll be able to find us there uh, if you search monkey see monkey review on facebook that's also the opportunity to to get in touch with us there we'll also include links to all of our letterboxd where we post our reviews and ratings of films that we're watching uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll let you know how you can get in touch with us that way. And if you want to get in touch with us via the email, so it's msmrpod at gmail.com. Uh, as I say, all of these will be put onto the show episode notes for when it's downloaded. And all that remains for me to do is to say thank you once again to these three lovely gentlemen at the other end of the phone line. Thank you all very, very much. You absolute legends.
1: Thanks for having me. Ah, oh, Thank you for having us all. Thank you very much for having me.
0: And until next time, from all of us at the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast, it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, lovelies. Bye. Goodbye.